You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, South Bay Church. Am I live here? Well, I am live. Well, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, We've got an exciting day ahead of us on a number of different counts, but it's just great to be able to come together and worship God in song and with just this incredible family we've been blessed with. Amen. I do want to take this opportunity to welcome Maria Costa back. Uh, Sister, you've been in our prayers. Very, very sorry for your loss, but grateful to have you back in the fellowship here. Amen. As uh, Brian had mentioned, we started our series of the book of Daniel's, uh, Daniel last week with John Oakes. Uh, he was assigned one chapter. Um, he definitely spent a little bit of time in chapter one and two, which was my assignment. I have no bad feelings about it now. I think I had a little bit of a challenge there while we were sitting in the audience that morning. But uh, So needless to say, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time with history this morning. I think John did more than an adequate job last week. Amen. You know, as we're uh, sitting here at the beginning of March, we've completed two months of 2017. world hasn't come to an end yet. Even though we may be, uh, well, the reality of it is we're faced with a lot of opportunities and maybe a, a few challenges in the mix, right? As disciples of Christ, though, I think it's really important to understand, and disciples of Jesus Christ are true followers who have made Jesus Christ Lord of their lives. But I think as disciples, we are rowing upstream against a society that is basically anti-Christian. We see more and more of our Christian rights being infringed on little things, you know, Pledge of Allegiance, things where God is mentioned being taken out of the mix because it's offensive, prayer in the classroom, unless you're a religion possibly other than Christian. I know of some schools that have actually set up classrooms for Muslim prayer, which I think it's awesome that they have a place to pray, but we don't see the same thing with Christians. It's just amazing today, again, some of the challenges we have. We're also living in a period of time when it comes to many of our churches around the world, we see churches changing as the times change, turning liberal in their theology. Commitment and dedication when it comes to Christianity. These are hard qualities to find today where we have faithful and dedicated Christians. Ultimately, it's a dying breed. This is what I love about Daniel. A man, actually a very young man, through challenging times that would rely on his faith with God to get him through it. We need to get beyond being tourists and fans who only want the high points and the victories, and want entertainment when it comes to church. And I'm really glad and grateful for our fellowship of churches within the ICOC, International Churches of Christ Worldwide, and that we are one in doctrine. And it's awesome. It doesn't matter what country you're in where we have a church that worships. We are unified. But even with that, it's a dying breed. We've got to be careful that we aren't being caught up in the society that we live in. You know, many things about the future today are both exciting and scary, especially if you watch the news. But no matter what we face in this unpredictable year of 2017, whether it's cultural, political, spiritual changes, 
all these things will approach us at high speed. A few of us, we may even experience the intense, painful opportunities that a teenager by the name of Daniel was faced with. And you know, you might be thinking, even though this story is 2,500 years old, why are we talking about it today? Well, ultimately, this story, what we have in this book of the Bible is every bit as contemporary as anything else in today's headlines. And every crisis and trauma that Daniel faced, God used him for good in the world. You know, the title of the message today is The Eye of the Storm, Thriving in Turbulent Times. The reason we're looking at Daniel is there are things that he did hundreds of years ago that can help us navigate turbulence today. Now, I don't know about you, sometimes I find myself in situations where things kind of get beyond me and start spiraling out of control. Any of you ever experienced that at all? Well, you guys must be just way more spiritual than I am. <laughs> Amen, I'm glad about that. What I want today, and for those of you that, there may have been a few out there that have experienced that spiral, but what I want to do today is help you find the eye of the storm. What is the eye of the storm? Well, if we look at the slide up there, let's say, I don't know if that's from a space station, uh, Skylab, uh, what that was shot from, but obviously it's somewhere outside of our atmosphere, and we have this hurricane which, I don't know if you guys remember Katrina. Katrina, from time to time, actually had, this thing was actually 400 to almost 500 miles across from time to time. And that eye of the storm, literally, that little blue spot, it's very much unlike the rest of the storm. We've got a, a video from some storm chasers that I wanted to show this morning that kind of give you a little bit better ideas to what that hurricane force is like and what the eye actually is. So with that, watch a short video here. To get to the eye of the storm, we need to fly through the hurricane's eye wall, the most violent part. Okay, so we got what, 12 miles to the wall here? We have three minutes, three minutes. Once we're at altitude, we strap everything down and get ready to punch into the storm. We're about to go in. Secure all equipment. This one looks strong. No matter how many times you do this, you always get a knot in your stomach just before you fly into the hurricane wall. Okay, folks, uh, seatbelt light is on. Here we go. Rock and roll. It's okay. It's just a, it's a little Nice sharp wall. This ought to be good. Okay, wind speed. Yeah, got about 25 degree correction. Okay, air speed 230. Okay, here we go. Okay, steady. Oh, good one. That's a tickle your uh, gizzard.
After being tossed around by 120 mile an hour winds, the moment you break in the eye is just incredible. It's just so peaceful. For those of you with an aversion to flying, you probably didn't relate a whole lot to the statements from the guy in the right hand of the cockpit there. As he, was kind of, he must have been like an old rodeo rider or something. I mean, he was like excited about what was going on. But I think that kind of gives you an idea as to what we're talking about with the outer walls of the, the hurricane and the turbulence that's involved and then breaking through to the eye. Hurricane Katrina struck the Gulf Coast of the United States in August 23, 2005. When it made landfall, there were sustained winds somewhere between the realm of 100 to 140 miles per hour. And as I said earlier, it stretched over 400 miles across. Now, I think it's crazy is looking at the power of that turbulence. Experts estimate that Karina caused more than $100 billion in damage. And the three and a half hours of Katrina, uh, that period of time where it hit land, three and a half hours, it actually generated the equivalent energy to power the entire state of New York for six and a half weeks. Now what you saw as they broke through the clouds, you have the cold air that's at the higher atmosphere that cuts through the center of the storm and the warm air that rises up and it forms a stadium effect, which were the walls that you saw. You cut through to the middle of it, it's like being in this giant coliseum. And the winds actually drop down to 15, 20 miles an hour, which when you look at the contrast, it's crazy. And sometimes, you know, when we look at that 120, 140 mile an hour gust and sustained strength, some of us feel like that sometimes when it comes to our own lives. I want to share a story uh, going back a number of years ago. You know, when we were breaking out the themes on this, I brought up this particular story, and I, I think this may have been the catalyst for the eye of the storm. But I was working at Albertson Hyundai. Uh, it's where I kind of got my start in the auto business years ago. Uh, right here in Culver City. Now it's a parking structure with a Starbucks and a few other things. But I had a manager who pulled me aside one morning. I, I was having a pretty crazy day. I, I was ticked. I had a customer. I had an appointment with another customer, but they decided to show up early. And I hear the voice of one of my other salesmen who, you know, for those of you in sales, there's a term called snake or shark. And this guy kind of fit into both of those categories. And I, I hear my customers talking with him. He's, oh yeah, Steve's sick today, so he told me I could go ahead and take care of things for you. And then I, I had a situation in the finance office with another customer I was working with, and there were challenges there, and I'm running to the finance office, and I'm running back to my customer, and I'm getting ready to, this is before I was a Christian, mind you. I was getting ready to deck this guy by the name of Hank. I was so ticked off. Not only did he take my customer, but he's lying about where I was. And Robert Charles grabbed me by the arm, pulled me aside. He said, Steve, because you're a really amazing salesman, but you're scattered. He goes, I really want you to think about this. Have you ever seen a hurricane? I'm all, well, I've seen them on TV. He goes, okay, that's good enough. He goes, you need to focus on getting out of all the turbulence, all the garbage that's spiling around you, and get to the eye of the storm. That's where you have peace, that's where you have the ability to focus, and that's where you have the ability to make a difference. And that stuck with me to this day. Now, conceptually, what Robert had shared with me was good, and occasionally it worked, but not all the time. And this is what I love about Daniel. We have this incredible example that ought to inspire us, and in that this young man 
had this incredible faith and courage to remain true to his convictions. And as an old man, that faith sustained him even with a threat of persecution. We're going to go to Daniel 1. And, you know, the, uh, the title, as we uh, saw there, was Alien in Exiles. You know, we've got this guy that was yanked out of his home country and brought to this foreign land and with all the issues that surround that. In Daniel 1, we first read about Daniel's great faith in this particular chapter. And it starts out, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These were carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Espesnaz, chief of his officials, to bring in some Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. This is really kind of crazy. We have Daniel and his three friends that were kidnapped and taken into exile around 605 B.C. Now, as we saw in verse 3, and I think this is something that's significant, I don't know why I haven't seen it before. Most of you probably have. Daniel was from royalty. It says he was handsome, smart, relative of king of Judah, raised with, you know, when we think about royalty, think of everything that goes along with that. All the privilege, status, wealth, power, education. He was a young man of character, and he was absolutely committed to God and refused to compromise himself in any area. Daniel was also a young man with a future. Most of the commentaries seem to think he was somewhere within the realm of 14, 15 years of age. I mean, this, this is amazing, teens. I was so convicted by this teenager in the stance that he took. Daniel was caught in a system and culture that forgot God. And this exile that he went into, this wasn't something that came about overnight. It was due to a long period of rebellion against God's plan and God's expectations for the Israelites. Daniel was caught in a culture that had ignored God. You know, I look at my first 32 years of my life, it was very similar. It was 32 years of rebellion before I finally tapped out and saw my need for God and the ability to really find that true eye of the storm. And one of the things that we need to understand, guys, it doesn't take very, we can see this in our local community, we can see it throughout the nation, we can see this internationally. When a nation forgets God, everyone suffers. The righteous right along with the unrighteous. We see it all around the world today. Imagine being this carefree 15-year-old teen from royalty, and all of a sudden you've gone from this, this place of stature to being a servant to the king. He was taken from his family. He'd never see his homeland again. He would never worship in the temple in Jerusalem or see his family again. He lost his spiritual mentors and was taken to a land where the God of Israel was mocked and where values and standards based on scriptures were totally ignored. Yet even throughout all of this, the adversity that he went through, even in adversity, things can work 
for good. Paul talks about this in Romans 8, 28. He says, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You know, at the time, Daniel probably didn't see the, the hand of God at work here as he had traveled 800 miles away from his home. I don't know if it was walking on horseback in a carriage. I don't know how he was transported, but 800 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon. God's ultimate plan for Daniel was to influence the highest leader in that land. God was at work behind the scenes, preparing a young man who was yielded to him to play a key role in the preservation and the restoration of his people, and also to be a witness for the Lord in a strange land. You know, as I said, it's amazing. These guys, not only were they taken from their family, though, this incredible lifestyle, they're forced to change their names to honor the Babylonian gods. My name's Daniel. No, it's not. I mean, talk about identity theft, man. This is where it started, right? You're Baltazar. No, I'm Dan. No. Who are you? It's kind of like, you know, the latest thing with uh, The Walking Dead. Who are you? I'm Negan. Forced to change. I don't, what, 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 what? That's a little bit more relevant, right? But you think about that. I mean, his culture was stolen from him. His name was stolen from him. His language was stolen from him. He was taught the language of the Babylonians, the Chaldean language. Nothing that was familiar to him was he allowed to own anymore. Instead, the things that he had been taught were replaced with the Babylonians' language, astrology, magic, worldly philosophies, and he was force-fed this daily for three years. I want to talk about indoctrination. I think Daniel maybe had a couple of doubts. I'm sure Daniel had doubts and concerns. You know, he may even ask himself or his buddies at one point in time, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to us? Nebuchadnezzar's plans called for Daniel and his friends to be rigorously trained and indoctrinated for three years. He, wanted to, he recognized their capability but he wanted anything from their past lives gone. Verse 8. It says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Daniel was a young man of conviction and integrity, unwilling to compromise his walk with God. We see that this official, after Daniel approaches him, is a little uptight about this whole thing. He's fearful for his own life, and that if Daniel, if he goes along with this and Daniel is not healthy, he could be executed over it. And Daniel persuaded the king's official to give him a chance. I mean, this is pretty amazing. Again, guys, keep in mind, we're dealing with a 15-year-old here that has the poise, the humility, the respect to be able to engage this king's official and change his mind. Teens, I want you to understand this. When it comes to what you're dealing with in your schools, you have the ability to change the minds of other people. And many of you have. We've got other teens sitting here because of that. But this is something that we can all do. Daniel says in verse 12, please test yourselves or test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed, and he tested the men for 10 days. Daniel is a prime example here of how to turn adversity into opportunities. I want to say this again. Daniel is a prime example of how to turn adversity into opportunities. 
We can learn here as disciples and followers of Christ, right? What's the key? Don't compromise. Jesus is Lord of all or not at all. We've got to prioritize God, thinking through what that means. God is Lord. Jesus is Lord of our time, our money, our talents, our relationships. And it's because of that lack of wanting to compromise, not getting caught up in the storm around him, being centered in the eye of the storm, that's what led to Daniel's unwillingness to compromise his convictions in the little things. And those little things were the things that led to his success in the big things. You know, it's amazing how something little can edge its way in, and we start going down that road, and, you know, the next compromise isn't, you know, as little as the one that we just compromised, but it just extrapolates out, and as you go down that road, you get further and further away from the eye of the storm, further and further into, deep into the turbulence of the craziness of this world. But that won't happen if we stay focused on God. Don't compromise. Now, you know, when we look at this, Daniel did this 10-day fast. Some of you have done this. And that won him the favor with the king's chief official, and that favor translated into his first job with the administration. Now, I'd like to say that I would have done okay with a 10-day fast. I mean, I've done that kind of thing, and you know, one year I went from October to February without any meat. But let's just say, three years? <laughs> what, you, you can't believe that? You know, for those of you that know me, the idea of rabbit food for that length of time is kind of scary. But for three years, think about this, no steak, no chicken, no bacon to wrap the steak or the chicken. Oh, now I've struck a chord. Just water and vegetables for three years. Anyway, I'm starting to get hungry here. Let's go ahead and keep moving. <laughs> Daniel makes a decision. He made a commitment to not defile himself with the king's food. He did it with willingness in order to test his faith. And you know, the thing with the meat here is some people take this Daniel diet, I think, a little bit too far out there for an extended period of time. And that what was really going on here is he didn't want to take the chance on any meat in this community because he didn't know what he was going to get. It was meat that could have been sacrificed to idols. There's a problem with that. It could have been pork. There's even a bigger problem with that. Can't imagine a culture going through life with no bacon. There we are, back on food again. Anyway, Daniel 1, verse 12. Daniel was confident that God's way was the right way. He was willing to take it a step further and demonstrate that superiority of God's way for those around him. So he asked the steward to give him and his friends just water and vegetables for 10 days, and here's how it turned out. Verse 15. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Oh, you know what? I forgot, too. No wine for three years? Anyway. <laughs> so at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men that ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. How would you like to be one of those other guys? It's like, seriously, dude? <laughs> to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Thank God for that, based on the three-year course that they had there of all the stuff that they needed to learn. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them 
and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than the magicians and the enchanters in the whole kingdom. So one thing I want to make clear here, and this is probably me speaking to myself more so than anybody else, the value of this faith, not the diet, is seen in its results. Amen? It was the faith, not the diet. And it affected the lives of others. Daniel 1, 15 through 16, it blessed the health and continence of Daniel and his friends. And that faith blessed the rest of the young men under the care of the steward. God blessed Daniel and his three friends even more now. Daniel 1, 17 through 20. And this is how we can succeed in keeping our commitment to the Lord. We need to seek God's help. We need to seek God's help with everything. Without God, any effort is much more likely to fail. Psalm 127, verse 1, reads, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. And then I love this next one in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. God seeks to help those who are loyal to him. If you're in, in that turbulence right now that we're talking about and you can't understand why your life's going the way it is, you need to ask yourself, are you loyal to God? Second Chronicles 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And you know, there are going to be times where we may drift a little bit. But you've got to be persistent. Don't give up trying to meet the first obstacle. Or maybe it's the fifth obstacle. Maybe it's the tenth obstacle. Remember what Jesus taught about persistence. When we looked at the parable of the persistent widow, she kept going after it until this corrupt judge is like, dude, tell her, I'll give her whatever she wants. Just get her to leave me alone. That's how we need to be when it comes to obstacles. We've got to be persistent. We've got to be willing to continue to engage with God. You know, thinking through this as a church, church family, do our school-age children see our faith in action? Do they see us making decisions and commitments that are based on faith in God? Seeking first God's kingdom is what they experience at home, setting them up to make faithful decisions once they are out from under our own roofs. When it comes to the teens, teens, you guys ready to move away from home? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being a catalyst for anything here. I know some of your parents may feel that way from time to time. It's probably more their thing than yours. But moving away from home for the first time, how will you handle it? Leaving a spiritual environment at home for one that is likely very much more worldly, will you live and act with the same sort of commitment found in Daniel? For those of us in the workplace, what kind of decision will you make when tempted by a job which may require you to compromise your convictions? Being a part, an active part of the fellowship. Not a fan, not a tourist, but an active part of the fellowship. If you're called upon to lie for your boss or show loyalty to the company through illegal or unethical processes and practices, what will you do? Will you have the faith of a 15-year-old in the midst of the turbulence. 
Daniel 2, verse 1. The dream and the revealer, Daniel 2, verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll interpret it. Okay. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces, your house is turned into piles of rubble, but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So as you can imagine, the response from the magicians and the astrologers at this point in time, they're flipping out. It's like, what the heck is up with this guy? He wants us to tell him what he dreamed and then interpret it? This king's psychotic. Verse 11. They kind of inform him of his psychosis in a much nicer way. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they don't live among men. So, you know, basically, king, you're out of luck, dude. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. This, to me, is amazing. Right here, the next verse, we have a 15-year-old who decides to step into the midst of the fray and mediate for the king's astrologers and magicians and, you know, of course, his own life and the life of his buddies. I just want us to keep this in mind as we go through this. These are the things that Daniel demonstrated in his life, in his interaction with his God, in his interaction with his friends, in his interaction with King Nebuchadnezzar and all the other Babylonians that were a part of this society. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We know later on in the book, King establishes a number of different laws. How do those laws affect Daniel? It could have, but it didn't. Why? Because of his conduct because of what he modeled, because of what people had the opportunity to see. And it's absolutely amazing the impact that we can have with words. Now, the thing that's unfortunate about this is that can be both negative and positive. How many of you have been hurt? You know, we don't need hands on this because it'll probably be everybody. But how many of you have been hurt by someone else or have hurt someone else? Again, I don't need hands. I would imagine it's probably every single one of us here have either been hurt or hurt someone or both. I know both applies to me. Daniel's faith led him to interact with humility, wisdom, peace, and patience. And this is incredible. From 18, a slave to this incredible man of influence. Verse 16. At this, Daniel went into the king and he asked for time so he might interpret the dream for him. 
know, Daniel's got, Daniel's got this all figured out here, right? No, not at all. But it's a good thing to ask for time. Then, rather than being impulsive, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. This is awesome. The power of prayer. They prayed for mercy, wisdom, and power, and ultimately, just that reliance on God, being grateful that they had a God they could go to with their concerns. Victory during turbulent times comes with humility. Verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes of them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God, my Father. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said, do not excuse the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I'll interpret the dream for him. Again, you know, we, we all know about Daniel and the lion's den. This is amazing to me. And we're right here, even the concern, his captors, he doesn't want the guys that have got him in captivity being killed. He intercedes on their part first. Daniel had amazing confidence in his relationship with God and that God would answer his prayer. Now, I, I don't know about you, with what I know about this king and what he's requesting right here, I'd rather take my chance with the lines. You know, I, I know I ain't coming out of that den alive, but I'm gonna take somebody's eyes out or something while I'm in there. Somebody's gonna be hurting a little bit, not as much as me, but I'm gonna be able to inflict a little bit of damage before I'm gone. This thing with the king just doesn't compute with me. Okay, rely on God to give me the dream. It's kind of a big in and of itself, right? And now, I'm going to go ahead and take what God has given me when it comes to this dream, and I'm going to go to the king and interpret it for him. And now you're Daniel, you know what the outcome is. Okay, so I got the dream, I'm going to tell the king. What if for whatever reason the king's kind of jacked up in his head and his interpretation changed based on, or his vision changed from the point in time, I got it, he slept again last night, what if something else happened? Or what if, what if the king reacts to the interpretation? He doesn't like what he's hearing. Again, I'll, I'll take the lines over the king any day. But this is the kind of man Daniel was. Talk about a man of faith and deep conviction. Verse 25, Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no. Sentence continues, but we get, to, we get an insight again as to the demonstration of the fruits of the Spirit in his interaction with the king. No. The mystery he has asked about, but there is a God... The mystery that he is out, or excuse me, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain the king, the mystery he's asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. 
He could have taken credit. What would that look like for him moving forward? But he takes the opportunity to witness. I mean, this is awesome. A 15-year-old. Going forward, I, I, the next slide, just kind of a brief overview of what John Oakes talked about last week. We have the historic component. Number one, God, the, when it comes to the translation, the, God, the gold head was the Babylonian Empire, 625 to 539 B.C. We have the silver chest and the arms, the Medo-Persian period, 539 to 331 B.C. We have the bronze belly and thighs, the Grecian Empire, 331 to 63 B.C. And then the iron legs, the iron feet and clay, 60 BC, 63 B.C. to 476 A.D. And out of all this, Daniel talks about this rock carved out of a mountain that would destroy it all. Verse 44. You know, I just had to play with it a little bit. I, I just wanted to see the statue go bye-bye, okay? I, I don't got the skill set that Brian Craig has, but, you know, I, I do try to attempt it from time to time. Verse 44. It says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision, the rock cut about a mountain, but not by human hands. We're going to transition and close out in this passage, Matthew 6, verse 25. A kingdom that would destroy all others and last for eternity. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6, 25. And this is the eye of the storm. Worry, stress, anxiety, these things can be very turbulent waters to try and manage and navigate. But Jesus tells us how to deal with it, and it was the same exact way that Daniel did. Jesus says, this is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You know, every once in a while I like to kick in for God there. If I'm in a parking lot eating fast food, you know, a few french fries go out the window or a little piece of bun and hook the sparrows up. I mean, God says they're going to be taken care of. He doesn't say how, right? They don't sow, reap, or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? We can probably get shorter. Why do you worry about your clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Because you're not going to be swirling around in the outer portions of that hurricane. You're going to be centered on God in the center. 
Don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If I can leave you with anything today, I'd like to leave you with this. Find the eye of the storm by looking to Jesus. What's the answer to life in these turbulent times? Seeking first God's kingdom that has and will outlive all other kingdoms on this planet. That's why Daniel didn't worry about his future. He understood the king's dream. You know, many of you maybe uh, remember the book, The Circle Maker, that we went through. The author spent a little bit of time on Daniel, and there was a huge takeaway for me. The thing that impresses me most about Daniel, that he knew his prayers would not be answered during his lifetime. Yet he prayed with a sense of urgency. You know, as a procrastinator in some ways, I would have been waited, I would have been tempted actually to wait until the last week of the 69th year to even start praying. With those specifics about Jerusalem. Now Daniel, he had the ability to pray with urgency about things that weren't urgent. And that's an important dimension, I think, for all of us when it comes to thinking long, the long game. Sometimes I struggle with faith. I'm afraid that the last miracle I received might be the last miracle I receive. Concerns about job, kids, marriage. How do we thrive through turbulent times? Like Daniel, we need to focus on the eye of the storm. And the eye of the storm is God. That is where Daniel received peace of heart. That is where Daniel received peace of mind. Faith in one greater than himself. And look how God used it. The ability to stand in the midst of chaos, an exile, an alien in a strange land. He stood on the foundation of prayer in Scripture that his Hebrew parents had instilled in him. As I stand before you today, just like Daniel, I know I have, I have absolutely no idea what the future holds, but I do know who holds the future. That is the key to thriving in turbulent times. If God was good enough for a team named Daniel, he's good enough for me. If you're visiting here with us today and would like to know a little bit more about this or how to find that eye of the storm, we have mission points, small groups, throughout our community where we meet weekly, every other week, in some instances weekly and others, where we meet together and we go through God's Word, ultimately with the purpose of helping each other find and stand on a purpose greater than our own, which is God's. Bow with me right now, if you would, and we'll pray for communion. Father God, thank you for another day in your kingdom. Thank you as we sit here today that we know that yours is a, a kingdom built on Jesus Christ, built on your word that will endure forever. Father, as we make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives, we can take solace knowing that the foundation that we stand on is unshakable. Help us to always remember, no matter what the times are, good times, turbulent times, that if our focus is on you, we will get through it. And because of the sacrifice that you sent through your son, Jesus, dying for us, shedding his blood for us, 
so that our sins would be forgiven, that for those of us that have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and made him Lord of our lives, salvation is something that waits for us, and the words, well done, good and faithful servant, are the words that we will hear. Father, as we pass the bread and the fruit of the vine this morning, I pray that we can all focus on that for a moment and in, in silence and gratitude for the amazing God that you are. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.